This week on Writers Inc. Um, so I was working like the booking agency and settling up with promoters and you know a lot of that we did on our own. So I had that kind of do-it-yourself mentality. Um, you know, kind of yeah, getting your own motivation and getting things done. And we go on tours and book things and you know, so a lot of that I think carried over. It was almost like DIY books or DIY music to DIY books. <laughs> Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's In. How you doing today, man? Oh, it's been a, a crazy weird day. So I, I woke up this morning and I look at my iPhone and it's like the whole screen is lit up with all these security violations, like change your password, oh, do no. this, this happened. Somebody tried to log in from Colorado. This is going on. And I'm clicking through and like, I put my Apple watch on cause I've got like all the Apple stuff and like, it starts doing it too. And like, I'm half asleep, you know, like, and, and like everything is just ringing off the hook, trying to get me to change passwords and stuff. So I don't know what happened, but it looked like somebody tried to hack into my email account. Like one that I, I barely even use, like it's just linked to my, my Apple stuff. Um, but they tried to hack in. So like, it makes you go across like every device and change everything. And so I, I spent the morning trying to do that. So I'm like chugging coffee, getting my brain to wake up enough to figure out how to, to even do it. Um, and like, while that was going on, my email starts working again. And I get a message from um, my translator in, in the Netherlands. And, and he's like halfway through my latest book. Um, which is cool because usually when they run into something weird, like he'll, he'll send me a question. And a lot of times it has to do with humor, like, you know, trying to translate, you know, American humor into another language. Oh, it's, right. It's really difficult to do. Um, so a lot of the questions are usually pertaining to that. But like he, he's sending me questions about halfway through the book. And I'm thinking, like, did we sell this one in the Netherlands? Like, I didn't remember, <laughs> you know, like those things happen, you know, pretty rapid fire sometimes. But I, I, I knew that they were looking at it, but I didn't remember selling it. So I start going through my notes and I can't actually find a sale. Like I, I've got an email from my agent where she sent it to them and they were looking at it. But like that was it. Um, so I talked to her and like at this point, they haven't signed a contract yet, but they're already halfway through translating it. So I guess somebody's feeling very optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I so, guess that's a yeah, good so, sign. Yeah. So it's been one of those, like I'm, I'm dealing with that. And, and you know me, I mean, normally like I get up and I write first thing. So like all these things just kind of force their way into my, my, my system, my, my whole routine and threw me off kilter and like 10 o'clock rolls around and the building inspector rolls up. Cause I'm still dealing with that over here at the house. The steps. Um, yeah, the steps. Um, so we had a, a building inspector that literally got overwhelmed and just quit. Um, they had one guy for this entire island and there's a lot of, a lot of construction projects going on. So they, like everything was on hold. Uh, they hired a new guy and the new guy is trying to, to slosh his way through all the, the existing projects and the paperwork and everything that this other guy left behind on the desk. Um, so he came out and I, I basically had to start over at, at square one with him. 
Um, and I had an attorney here um, to just try and explain some of this stuff because there's all types of legal things regarding the property lines that like information I don't even want to know. Like I, you know, <laughs> like it, it's it's wonderful that he can spout it off, but like I don't want to understand New England property lines. They're they're a nightmare. I can't even um, imagine what the how complicated that must be. Yeah, because like I've got our property lines. Like this used to be a farm, and I've got a piece of paper from 1954, and it's just a copy of it um, where somebody scribbled out the the housing plan for for this this area. And there's I think they divided it up into like eight or nine different lots. Um, and then they combined a lot of those lots. Like I think three of them are actually where my house is now. Um, but the road was originally, and I, I learned this like over in the last week, it, it was originally supposed to curve out in front of my house and it was supposed to actually come a lot closer to the house. Um, but they realized that I'm sitting on a giant granite hill. So the only way they could get the road to go through there would be to dynamite this hill away. <laughs> So instead of do that, they obviously, they just made the road go around it, um, but they never actually adjusted the, the plot lines. Um, or if they did, nobody knows where those drawings are because the, the next drawing that actually surfaces is, is almost 40 years later. So there's like all this time in between where the property line shifted and changed, but there's no like official record of it recorded anywhere. Um, so like, you know, they're going back, pulling stuff, you know, like neighbors are weighing in because like my one neighbor, her house was built in 1905 and she's like, my dad built it. And I know this, this, and that. And it's like, it's just, it's getting so crazy. It's like, I, I couldn't make this stuff up. Um, so what's going on with you? <laughs> what's happening in Jay Thornland? <laughs> well, I don't have any property line issues, so I guess that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I just, you know, um, uh, keeping on uh doing the writing stuff i'm uh, gonna gonna crack the seal i'm kind of in between drafts right now on the, on the project you're helping me with and uh i'm gonna get ready i i think probably monday is the first day i'm gonna jump back into chapter one and and fill out that dialogue only draft and uh and see where it goes from there cool did you see the big announcement from amazon on book clubs i did yeah Oh, okay. Because I actually didn't. I, I didn't see an announcement. I just saw like on my, my various titles, like links to Amazon book clubs just started to appear. Yeah. Um, and and I, I did a Google search and I couldn't even find a press release on that. So so they did announce it at some point or did they just sneak this in there? I don't know if they announced it, but I saw it. Some Someone showed okay. it to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's what's going on. Like, I don't think they've actually come out and talked about it, but like if you go to an Amazon book page and I don't know if everybody can see this because it, it says early access on mine. So I don't know if that means, you know, like it's just a limited people or eliminate countries or whatever. Um, but if you scroll down, there's there's an option for book clubs where you can either join a book club or you can recommend the book to a book club, um, which is interesting because, you know, they, they own Goodreads and they, they've owned that for, for years now um, and never really did anything with it. So I, I don't know if this is them trying to, to recreate it in the Amazon environment from scratch, um, you know, meaning that they're going to just shut Goodreads down completely or if they're going to try to do this independently of, of Goodreads. I'm not sure, but um, you know, I, I clicked through and there, there were, I think, five or six book clubs. There's not a whole lot of them. Um, very limited number of members. I think there was about a thousand or so in each one when I looked at it and, and probably 10 to 20 books that had been recommended already. Um, so I'm, I've got my marketing hat on. I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do I get into this early and, and take advantage of it and get my books in front of some people that you know, may not normally see it that are going to jump on Amazon book clubs. I, I think it's a great idea. I'm, I'm really curious to see where they go with it. Yeah, me too. And it's it's kind of typical Amazon. They just kind of roll things out, or they, or they end things and, and without announcements or very short notice. So I'm 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 not surprised. Uh, but 
what's uh what's the latest buzz on the Patterson book? That's 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 come ramping up, coming close. Yeah, yeah, we're getting close. We've got um it's less than two weeks now. It comes out on the twenty first. Um I'm I'm trying to keep a, a level head. I'm I'm looking at some of the sales numbers and and um the rankings that I see like on Amazon and on the various sites and, and things like that. I mean it, it's it's doing ridiculously well. I mean it's 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 a whole different league, you know, from what I'm normally used to. And I and I do great with my own titles, but you know, like Patterson is off in the, the stratosphere when it comes to these kind of things. Um, so I've actually, I've been picking apart the New York times list, uh, trying to figure out what it's going to actually take to land on there. Um, and, and I, I haven't really looked at it. Like, I don't, I don't normally go to the New York times list that, that often and, and look at it, but, uh, have you read where the crawdad sings? I have not. Okay. So this book has been on, on there for 110 weeks. Uh, and, and most of the time at, at the number one spot, which is insane if you think about it. And I, I pulled the, the book scan numbers on it uh, in order to have that number one spot uh, last week. It sold 16,000 copies, you know, 110 weeks after release. It's, it's still selling that well, um, which is which is an amazing number. Um, so I reached out and I talked to one of my editors and, and she was telling me that, um, you know, people, you know, because there's very few bookstores that are open. Um, it, it's extremely difficult to break anything new and people are just gravitating towards, you know, it's almost like comfort food, right. Um, you know, a book, they're going back reading books that they read as children, you know, like rereading stuff. Um, they're reading their, their favorite authors. Um, but they're not really discovering anything new and it, and the, the, the publishers, you know, are, are having a very difficult time getting new new material out there um, because there's just, there's no place to put it. You know, there, there's no new release table at Barnes and Noble right now that people can walk by. Um, so you have to find some other way to do that. So they're, they're trying a lot of new things right now. You know, Facebook advertising, you have things that may sound very familiar to the people working in the indie world, yeah. you know, Facebook ads, Amazon ads, BookBub, um, you know, mailing services, websites, blogs, all the, all these other things. Um, but yeah, it's a very, very strange environment. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to actually, you know, affect this book. I mean, Patterson has been doing very well. I mean, he just had another number one, um, with a book called the summer house, I guess about two, three weeks ago. Um, it, it debuted at number one, it sold, um, I think it was around 25 to 30,000 copies, uh, in, in that initial week, which is again, crazy number. Yeah. Um, but um yeah so we'll we'll see um I'm, I'm starting i'm getting a lot of emails from people um you know like screenshots of it showing up on their their kindle lock screen um it was on uh, i got some washington post um ads that somebody had sent me yesterday um so they're they're advertising it very heavily so that's great man that's exciting a few more weeks and uh, i'll see what happens yeah yeah i can't wait <laughs> excellent excellent all righty so who do we have on today we got my buddy tw piperbrook Okay. He's uh he's up in your neck of the woods. He's in uh, Connecticut and he's a uh, a full-time writer. And what's cool about uh Piperbrook is he's one of these people who um he doesn't do anything else but write fiction and uh and he's able to support his his family doing that, which I think is uh very admirable and um he he writes mostly in the post-apoc genre. And uh yeah, it's I've known him for probably going on 10 years now and I think it's going to be a fun conversation. All right. Well, let's go. Mr. Piper Brook. How you doing? Great. Good to see you again, my friend. Yeah, you too. The world travel over here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to talk about the business of writing uh, with you with this new podcast. You up for it? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, yeah. man. Awesome. Um, I know that you... Uh, you were one of the guys that I was using. I was like loading my Kindle with back in back in the day. Uh, 
The old timers. The old timers. Yeah. You know, I think there was, um, there were guys like J.R. Rain and Scott Nicholson and Joe Conrath. Uh, but then I think right after them were, were guys like you. So uh, take us back to sort of where you were maybe like uh, 2009, 2010. You know, what were you doing and, um, and, and sort of what were your thoughts around writing at that time? Okay, yeah. So I, um, you know, I basically have always wanted to be a writer since I was a kid um, and then kind of got derailed a little bit. I, I used to submit to publishers when I was a little kid, actually. Um, so then I, uh, you know, I received some, some nice, uh, personalized rejections back when I was like 10 or 11 and, you know, life went on and I always loved reading and writing, went to college, got a bachelor's in English. Um, and then I kind of ended up in a couple different corporate jobs. Uh, so right around 2009, 2010, I was, um, actually working at the last corporate job that I had. Um, I was a, a business systems analyst over there. Um, and I was wondering at that point in time why I wasn't writing. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of where I, you know, I started poking around. I said, you know, geez, I'm not getting any younger and, uh, I've always wanted to write. So why am I not doing it? Um, and that's kind of where I stumbled upon the Kindle. I actually, I won a Kindle through a, uh, a holiday party raffle at my old corporate job. So I think that was a sign there that kind of got me, you know, that's some in interesting karma in that story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, so I started poking around. I found um, this website called Kboards, uh, Kindle Boards, and I saw some people that were having success with indie publishing, which I didn't know much about, and I was blown away. And I said, wow, there's no gatekeepers. I can do this myself, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> so so I, I was lucky enough to kind of stumble into it a, you know, a little early on, so not, not with the first wave of people, like you said, but um, about 2012. Uh, October 2012, I published my first book. Um, which is a book called Contamination, which I turned into a series. So, and what happened yeah. with that? Kind of tell, explain to us like what what sort of transpired in, in October of 2012, and, and a few months after. Yeah, so I, I put out the first book, and uh, you know, I didn't I didn't sell a whole ton at first, you know, because it was I was new. I did do some things right, so I you know I got a professional editor. Um, I got a really good cover that I still use to this day. Um, so I, I did a couple things right there, and I, you know. I wrote a story that I think was a little bit of a twist on the zombie genre at that time. Um, so I kind of put my own spin on it. So it was enough where I got a little bit of a foothold, but not much, you know, so I sold, geez, I don't know, 30, 40 copies the first couple of months, whatever, you know, so it wasn't really, it was, you know, I had to persist and, and I wrote a couple more books and then I started to see some traction because when you have a couple more products out, then you can start doing the perma-free first one or something. And, you know, you kind of get that funnel going and readers are kind of churning through your first couple of books. And I started to see, Things were building. So they weren't where they needed to be, but they were building up. So that was kind of the, the first, I'd say, eight months or so um, was kind of like that. It was just, you know, keep plugging away. And I kind of had to have faith that things will come in time. <laughs> so I love that kind of origin story because I think it's really easy if you are uh, maybe newer to the to the publishing industry or are just starting the journey and you look at at writers like yourself who have been in this game for a while and, and uh, are making a living at it. And it's a good reminder that everyone starts at zero. Uh, okay. Everyone starts with that first book, like that, that first upload or that first contract and that uh, everyone starts there. So I think that's really in encouraging in a way. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of it's just about having faith in yourself and I don't know, be being willing to stumble and make mistakes and learn from them. I think mean, that's the thing. If you keep making the same mistakes, then you got a problem. <laughs> so you, gotta, you know, I mean, you know, nothing's ever going to be easy, but you got to learn from everything you do and you have to start somewhere. So you have to, you have to start and just kind of put yourself out there. But 
And like I've said before, I think just putting your best effort into everything you do at that moment in time is the best thing you can do. Because, you know, you'll always look back and say, oh, I could have done this differently. But if you do as much as you can at that moment, then, you know, keep moving on. <laughs> and, and so when was the when was the moment where you realized, wow, there's something to this, or I, I might really be, there's some potential here. And, and when you hit that moment, you know, what, what did you do? What were you feeling? What were you thinking about? Yeah. So I'd say that would be around that first series. I actually had a book zero. So I'm talking about starting from zero. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> literally, yeah, literally starting from zero. So it was a book zero. I had a book one and right around book two, like I said, which would have been for me, I'd say about, it was about six months into it. Um, I started to see the, you know, a noticeable climb in the sales because suddenly I had three books out. So people were kind of going through and, you know, I would either do a promotion on the first book. Uh, why, why did you write a second book? Uh, like I said, just a faith thing, I guess. Yeah, you you <laughs> kind of had that feeling, you knew. Yeah, I had yeah, a feeling okay. I was enjoying it for one. I mean, that's what I've always wanted to do. So I was like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a chore for me to write another book and I guess just a little bit back for those couple good reviews kind of spur you on to keep going you know you're like and of course you get your couple bad reviews too and make you cringe and you know you want to give up but I think there was more good than bad <laughs> so so it was enough to, to you know and like I said I was enjoying it so um I'd say right around six months in at that third book I was starting to see a climb in sales and I was enjoying it and I start you know things were, were building maybe not like a huge huge leaps but they were building so I was feeling excited, I guess, is, is the answer to the question. I was feeling, wow, you know, I think I might be able to do this. Um, and a few months later, I ended up leaving my job. But <laughs> so I, I left a little early. I'll be honest. I left a little early. Um, I'd been in my, my last corporate gig for about five years, and I was ready for change. And like I said, I, uh, it was a big faith thing. <laughs> so, no, I, I, I hope it's okay to, to mention it, that you're married and that your wife probably uh, was involved in these conversations. So... Uh, you, you said you left early and things were growing, uh, growing. So did, you know, what was the conversation like with her and, you know, how, how did that kind of play out? Yeah. I mean, she knew that I was ready for change. Um, I'll be honest. She didn't really bat an eye when I said I wanted to, to leave and pursue it. So I, I've got to give her a lot of credit for that. So that, that was huge having a support system like that. So, you know, she works full time still and everything. And, uh, she knew it was my passion and, you know, I, I've kind of been, I've done a couple different jobs in my life. And, you know, one thing I've always told her, kind of an agreement we've had is I'm never going to stick her with, with anything. I'm always going to, you know, I'm going to work and make sure to pay, you know, pay my share, pay the bills, and I'm not going to put us in a position. So I think she knew I had a track record of, you know, I'm going to try to make this work. And if I don't, I'll know that I have to figure out another way to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and so what does leaving early, what, what does that mean when you say you left your job or you might have left too early? Yeah, well, it means I was nowhere near uh, close to replacing my current salary. I'll say that much. Um, but like I said, I just, I don't know, I had this persistence thing and, and I just, I said, I'm going to make this work. I can see, I can see this, this, this thing climbing and I had evidence in like the keyboards and other places where people were doing it. So I think that was the other thing, that first wave of writers that were doing it gave me the inspiration to see, okay, this is possible. So it was kind of a determination thing. Well, if they can do it, then I, I, I should be able to do it. I just got to keep plugging away, you know? So. Were you reading Conrath's blog at that point or maybe Russell Blake's or like, is, was there places outside of keyboards that you can remember where you were like, oh, like sort of modeling what you were doing after what others might've been doing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I was reading keyboards. I was reading, uh, yeah, I was reading Conrath's blog. So I was reading that. 
Um, I don't think I discovered Russell Blake's blog till later for some reason. Um, but what else was I? Uh, podcasts were huge. Um, the self-publishing podcasts, I think, was one of the earliest ones. So I caught them pretty early on. So I remember listening to that uh, at work, actually, <laughs> at my old job and getting really excited and inspired and seeing these guys. And, you know, there was still that Wild West mentality of, you know, figuring things out and, oh, this strategy is working today and this one isn't. So, again, I was following along with this first wave of people that were doing it. I guess uh, the creative pen, were you, they, she, Joanna was doing her podcast even before those guys. Were you following her as well? I was. I think she, she might have been a tiny bit later for me. Than, I think self-publishing podcast was one of probably the first one that I followed. And, uh, yeah, creative pen was a little bit after that. So I did, yeah, I saw that. Um, rocking self-publishing, sell more book show. I think that came a little later. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to me, I, I feel like that's almost part of the job now from a business perspective is to, you know, like I kind of put that in my day, listening to each of these podcasts and trying to, I don't know, keep up on all the strategies that are working, you know, in the news mm -hmm. and all that. Yeah. Uh, did you, did you have any uh, business experience besides being an employee prior to taking this plunge? And, and if so, you know, what did you, what did you learn from that you, that you were able to apply to your, your publishing business? Yeah, there was actually a, a real strong parallel. So, um, well, obviously the corporate gig, I was in, um, I was dealing with a lot of different departments. I was a business systems analyst, so I was kind of coordinating projects and, you know, it was a different type of project than a book, but, you know, it's still projects, you know, I was working with finance and marketing. And so I think I, I picked up a lot of the business, or at least some of the business side from that. Um, but probably an even stronger parallel is I was into uh, the indie music scene for a while. Yeah. Um, so I was in a band and I was kind of the business guy of the band. So I, I, I did music full time for about three or four years uh, back in the mid 2000s. Um, so I was working like the booking agency and settling up with promoters. And, you know, a lot of that we did on our own. So I had that kind of do it yourself mentality, um, you know, kind of, yeah, getting your own motivation and getting things done. And we go on tours and book things. And, you know, so a lot of that, I think, carried over. It was almost like DIY books or DIY music to DIY books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you were you were the guy in the band who was handling most of that stuff, correct? Yeah, yeah I was the business guy, they called me. <laughs> so, Might have even yeah, been a manager, like technically, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, we did have a booking agent. We had a label and all that stuff. But I would do a lot of the dealings with that, you know. Yeah. I was the unofficial business guy, I guess. <laughs> was there any overlap between your uh, music career and your writing career? Were you doing those at the same time or had the music, had you stopped doing the music before you started the writing? Yeah, I think it was pretty much, I mean, I do music to this day in a, in a very small capacity. You know, I think last year I did like two or three shows with a band that I have, but nothing serious. Um, but yeah, I'd pretty much finished up with the, the music thing. Um, and I had my son around uh, 2010. So yeah, so I was kind of in a different mindset. You know, I couldn't really be off traveling and touring as much. Um, so it was it was a different type of expression. And, and like I said, one that I'd wanted to do since I was a kid anyway. So, you know, so it, and it has the, the business aspects and it has the artistic aspects too. So at that time, the music industry was not in a, in a very good way. And I'm sure you were seeing that being on the ground and, and touring and, and playing these places. Were you at all concerned? Did you have any reservations about that happening to the publishing industry, especially in that moment where you were sort of to, where, where you were really, you know, going all in with, with writing. Yeah. I mean, in a way, yes. And in a way, no. So, I mean, obviously music is, is kind of still, you know, I mean, when I was touring, we were able to sell CDs back then, 
And then obviously, you know, Spotify and the internet changed all that. So then it became in the later years, it was just merchandise and money you make from shows and guarantees and stuff like that. So yeah, that was a big change. We were able to make you know, a decent amount of money on CDs back then. And then suddenly you couldn't. So I guess that was a worry. Um, but one of the other things that I saw in the music thing was we were on a label and, you know, I saw a lot of things that were out of my control, you know, back then, like you have to rely on the, on the label or to some extent the booking agency and what kind of gigs they could get you and stuff like that. So a lot of things were out of my hands, whereas that was pretty different in the book realm. Suddenly it was like, okay, now these people are doing everything. So if I want to do a promo, if I want to do this or that, I can do it all myself. So in that sense, it was a little bit, there was maybe less nervousness in the sense that I had more control, but it was still, yeah, I mean, it's still, you know, it was wild west days. So it's, it's always a gamble, but yeah, I just, I love to this day. I love that control over my own business. Um, I try to keep as much of that as possible, you know? Right. Yeah. You're one of the, you're one of the writers who I really admire because you have seemed to create a lifestyle for yourself based almost entirely on your fiction. And I know that a lot of, of independent writers especially have other revenue streams. They have other ways that, that they earn income. Um, but, but you seem to be able to, to really focus on, on writing the fiction and publishing that. And uh, I'm wondering if you could tell us all your secret, how you're able to do that. I wish there wasn't a, a, a total secret. But, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the, the biggest secret is um, adapting, I would say. It's just, you know, um, like I said, just following everything that's out there, listening to podcasts. You know, I don't think there's ever going to, there hasn't been a strategy that I've seen so far that has held up the entire duration of the time I've been doing this. Like, oh, this is the one thing you have to do. I mean, there's some core elements mostly to do with the books. Like I say, you know, a great cover, uh, you know, professional editing, uh, making the best book that you can, all that stuff has stayed the same. But as far as like a sales strategy, I think those are always kind of evolving as the marketplace changes. So I think just kind of keeping abreast of that stuff is where you're going to have success. And then, you know, the other thing is as you go along, you know, you're building a backlist of titles. So right now I've got five series. Um, so it kind of enables me to, you know, I can promo one while I, you know, another one's kind of hanging out. Or I'm working on a new book in one, but I can promo another series in the backlist. So it kind of gives you a little wiggle room there. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the best thing is just, you know, like I said, treating it like a job. And to me, Part of that job is not only the writing, but just keeping an eye on everything, you know, following like uh, Facebook, the, the group's uh, 20 books to 50K um, is a really good one. The self-publishing formula. Um, I'm not always super vocal in those groups, but I'm there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a lurker there. So, you know, so I see what's going on and, you know, kind of having a network of writers like we, we talk or I have some other buddies, uh, writer buddies and kind of talking about different things and you know, even passing things by them saying, Hey, this is, this is a perspective cover for my new project. What do you think? Oh, I'd maybe lighten the colors here or do that or whatever. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, usually the artist has the best uh, beat on that, but you know, just running things by people and getting second opinions, people that you trust, I think helps too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that uh, when we first kind of connected in maybe on a 2011, 2012, 2013, and we were doing uh, multi-author box sets as, both a promotional, but also as, as sort of like an advertising uh, approach. It was advertising we were getting paid to do. That's how I explained it at the time, because we were bundling up all these novels, selling them for a dollar uh, as a multi-author box set, making a little bit of money, but also uh, tapping into new readers. And as you said, things never stay the same. They're always changing. 
And we seem to be now in, in the era of pay-to-play. And uh, I know that's a, a music industry term that means something a little bit different. But the, the, the idea now is that there's, there's so many titles in the marketplace. There's so much competition for eyeballs that uh, really the only way you can get uh, exposure to new readers is through paid advertising. Kind of, um, what are your thoughts on that? What What are you doing right now? Um, let's start there. Like, you know, what What are your thoughts on paid advertising, and, and how are you leveraging that? Yeah, I agree that it, it it does feel like it's a pay to play system in one sense. Um, I mean, I think there's still organic discoverability, and I've I've heard some people in, in my lurking <laughs> that have had success with organic discoverability. Um, but I almost treat it as like a cost of business at this point. Um, you know, so I have AMS ads that are always running, and uh, you know, I'll kind of monitor them, monitor them, but you know, with AMS, it's a little bit hard because you don't have all the data that you need there. Like you can't really see with the bar, you know, the borrows and page reads, you can't see the exact ROI there. At least I haven't found a great way to do that. So some of it again is a little faith or a little gut feeling like, okay, okay, this is working and this isn't. Um, but I basically have a budget every month and I'll kind of watch my AMS dashboard and I've got a Facebook ad running right now. Uh, I was doing some of the BookBub not the featured ads, but the paid ads on the bottom of the email. I was doing a little bit of that um, the last couple months. Um, so you kind of watch that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I just treat it as I have to, I have to do some of that. There's no way to not do it at this point. Um, I'm not sure what the future of that is, but, you know, like everything's always changing. <laughs> but for right now, it does feel like, you know, having ads out there helps. Yeah. And yeah. how do you... How do you figure out in at the highest level, not specifics, but how do you figure out what your ad budget is? Like, are you are you looking at your monthly royalty statement? Are you sort of paying yourself or paying the bills and then seeing what's left? Are you taking a percentage of royalties and reinvesting those into paid advertising? What's your general approach with that? Yeah, I mean, I think for like AMS ads, um, some of your budget is going to be based on kind of the genre that you're in, the keywords that you're bidding on, you know, there's going to be certain, you, you want to try to get that visibility because you don't want to just throw money away either, you know, see, so there's kind of this balance between getting the right visibility and getting on those first few pages of advertisements, you know, in the sponsored products. And then, you know, I don't know. So, so you have to, you have to kind of balance that out. So yeah, to, to your question there, um, I will kind of monthly and sometimes even weekly look at, like the series that I'm advertising, what my revenue is versus my spend. Um, and I try to get that down. Geez, I don't know, like 25% or 30%, you know, something that it's definitely like a, I'm, I'm making a lot more on the series than I'm spending in advertising for sure. And if I see that I'm not, then that's definitely a red flag. I better shut that off and try something else. So. Yeah. From, from a business perspective, how do you know when to feed a series versus maybe letting it lay fallow for a while? Yeah. I mean, like I said, with the budgeting, it's, it's, I don't advertise all my series at once. Cause then it'll almost seem like you're competing with yourself. You know, then you've got your own spot. So I'll kind of pick one that I'm, that I'm doing a certain strategy for. And sometimes I'll do another strategy for a different series. So say I'm doing AMS ads for one series, maybe I'll try to get a book, book bub feature deal with another one and do like a Kindle countdown and, you know, free book one and 99 cent book two and three with a full price book four and five or something. So I got like, you know, two different things going on that aren't bumping into each other, but, you know, trying to boost the whole backlist a little bit. Um, so that's one way to kind of balance it. But yeah, um, as far as which series, I mean, I think you can kind of get a vibe for a series after a few books as to how it's going to be received. Um, 
you know, sometimes series, I feel like do take a little bit of time to, to get their foothold. You know, like you might release a book and then you don't know for sure how it's going to go. Like you could have a great, I've had a series that had a great launch and then a not so great book two and three. So it's like, you know, certain things worked and certain things didn't. Um, but yeah, so that's, I kind of get, you know, I guess I try to always be flexible so I can pivot. So if I see that a series is hitting then that's probably the series that I want to stay on and advertise more and write more books in that series, you know, and maybe let another one lie foul, like you're saying, and kind of hang on that one. Cause it's not doing as well, you know, mm. cause you do have to pay the bills. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that, uh, I, I think I know the answer to this question cause we know each other pretty well, but, uh, do you have anyone else working on your business besides you? Uh, no, not really. No, I mean, no virtual yeah. assistants. You don't have a team. Uh, you don't, uh, nothing like that. Yeah. yeah. Other than bouncing ideas off people here and there. Yeah. I, I run everything myself. So, yeah. And do you, do you feel like that's sustainable for you? Um, it is at this point. Yeah. I mean, there's been a few moments where I've considered, you know, should I try to hire a VA or, you know, I've, I've had, you know, I've heard people having luck with that. Um, but I guess, like I said, it's that control thing too. <laughs> so right now it is sustainable for me, but if it's not, I know that options out there. Okay. Yeah. So you're self-aware enough to know when, you, when you might need it, when it's going to happen. Yeah. 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 So okay. I've had a couple points where I'm like, you know, should I outsource these few tasks? And then I'm like, yeah, you know, they don't have that much time now, but if they kind of get out of my hands then, then maybe I will. So, so far just me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Nice. Uh, kind of switching topics a little bit. Uh, we're definitely in a place where the audiobook market is growing exponentially. I think it's whether you whether you consume books that way or not. Uh, I think the voice technology and audio is is kind of in a golden age. What are you doing as an independent author, completely self-contained business? Uh, you know, what what are you doing with audio, and what what do you see is is the future of audio? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think audios, you know, it's a it's a great market. It's a good way to diversify from the ebooks, um, you know, or have an additional pro uh, product for each of your ebooks. So I've got all my stuff out there now. Um, I was lucky in that regard because I started out kind of early with that too. Um, so and I actually started with a, a royalty share in the beginning because um, I wasn't sure about the market. You know, should I front all this money? Will I see it back? Um, and it, it turned out pretty good. I actually ended up. Um, just kind of out of instinct, I bundled together a box set in the very beginning for audio. And that worked out really well because the people using Audible credits are like, oh, you know, hey, I can get this box set, you know, for the price of my credit. So it's a good value. So that worked out. And then I kind of switched over to um, paying up front for audio. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, it seems like it's something that as you add all your titles in there, it, you know, it's not huge money for me right now, but it's, it's very it's pretty steady from month to month. You know, it'll go up and it'll fluctuate here and there, but it's fairly steady and I think it's going to keep growing. Um, so I actually have a series now that uh, for the first time I'm going to kind of diversify and it's going to be on a, on a publisher. So we'll see how that goes uh, coming up. So I'm excited about that. So I think kind of another way to diversify, maybe they can do some things that I can't. You know? So we'll see. Do you do any but, anything different in your marketing for audio than you would do for your ebook or print? Yeah, I, um, I've tried different things. So I've done Facebook ads in the past for audio. Um, for some of the box sets and things like that. And those have done uh, fairly well. Um, again, there's been a few things that come up. I think um, there's been a few like uh, promo codes for Audible. I did, I did a while where I was giving those away. So in the early days, I tried to um, tap into my current readership and give them free copies of the audiobooks and try to drum up some reviews. Uh, so that kind of helped me get a foothold in the beginning. 
Um, I haven't done that as much recently. Um, other than, like I said, I've been doing some Facebook advertising for audio. Okay. Okay. What's been, uh, what do you think has been the most surprising or unexpected part of being technically a small business owner? Like what has, uh, maybe over the years, whether it's in the beginning or whether it's now, has, has there been something that you just were blindsided by or were surprised by? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't, in one sense, I don't think things have changed that much since the beginning, but then another, you know, certain things have, um, yeah, I guess just, um, actually, well, yeah, I will say so, you know, kind of, kind of owning my own business and doing my own thing. I think the actual writing process has changed a little bit for me in a weird way. Um, I think you're always learning. So, you, you know, in certain things you think like, Oh, I'm going to get to a point where I know everything, or I know all this stuff, you know? And, and I found that just like with the different strategies with the marketing side, with the writing side, um, I think there was a Russell Blake uh, blog post a while ago where he was talking about as he gets further into his career, he notices it's harder to write books because you, you're overanalyzing things or you see almost like a choose your own adventure. You can see all these different paths you can take with the plot. So I've noticed that for some reason it's been taking me longer to craft a book. Um, I would have thought the opposite, right? It's like as you get into it, oh, this is easier. Now I can write a book in a day. And it's like, nothing like that. It's like things have taken me longer because I – try to craft a better book. Um, whether I succeeded, I guess, is the reader's um, perception. But so, that, so that's been surprising to me that I feel like it's taking me longer and I'm, I'm you know, trying to get better at craft. So my, my productivity maybe feels like it's lessened in one way. But then thankfully, um, on the inverse side, I've grown a backlist. So I, can, I have more books out there to kind of you know, promote. So that gives me a little more stability to be able to take a little longer to craft the book. So, so that's probably the most surprising thing I'd say. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily answering your question as far as the business side, you know, that's more of the writing side. Yeah. That's, uh, no, that's cool. That's cool. But yeah, I mean, it's all part of the business, right? The writing and the, the marketing. So yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Cause it kind of brings us to uh, sort of a, a question. I, I think we'll tie it all together and you can answer this however you want to do it. But uh, if, if a brand new writer or less experienced writer would come up to you and say, Hey, what's your approach to the business of writing? How might you answer that question? Yeah. Um, well, I'd say my number one thing is to stay fluid. Um, yeah, that's my, my biggest approach in that, you know, don't be just set on, this is the way that I have to do it or, you know, and that goes for everything that goes for the, uh, your production schedule, you know, like we were talking about before to so say a series hits, then Oh, I was going to write this other series, but this series hit. So I'm going to, I'm going to pivot and I'm going to double down on this series. Um, you know, with promotions, uh, same thing. If you see something's working, then maybe you want to filter a little budget from one place to another. Um, or even, you know, trying not to hinge things on, you know, like BookBub is, is probably the, you know, I guess the golden goose, right, for, uh, for promotions, right, the feature deals. And those are tough to get. So, so maybe I'll plan a promotion and say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I, ideally, I want to focus this promotion around a book bug feature deal, but I have a backup plan if that doesn't work. Well, if not, if not, then I'm still going to do it, but I'm going to do this plan B and I'm going to allocate my funds differently. So, yeah, I guess that's um, the biggest thing I'd say is just stay fluid, be ready to pivot. And that goes for even mindset stuff. Like I've had days where, you know, something comes up and I have to, you know, I plan to write 2,500 words today, but now something else cropped up, whether it's, um, a marketing thing I have to attend to or my kids sick from school, you know, so, but be fluid, you know, don't, don't be stuck in something and be ready to pivot. And I think that's probably the best advantage we have as indie publishers is that we can do that. Um, and that's what I love about this job really. 
All right. There we have T.W. Piperbrook. Uh, so I know you have some uh, some music in your background. You were never a DIY musician, were you? No, well, I, I wanted to be. I mean, that, w- that was the thing. So I, I my, my first college degree, I actually went to the Art Institute down in Fort Lauderdale on, on a music business scholarship. Um, and, and I wanted to be a musician really bad, but I, I'm a terrible singer. I'm an even worse dancer. And like, that was the kind of thing that was, that was popular back then. Um, but I've always been good at business. So what ended up happening is, you know, I, I, I tried to record some stuff on my own, but then I got to, to know a lot of musicians and a lot of locals. Um, and I started working on the business side. I started managing some bands and then eventually that turned into leasing some nightclubs. Um, and, I, and I built a business uh, that way. Um, and, and I think I, I've always kind of been more comfortable, I think on, on, on that side of it. And it just, it got huge. I mean, at one point I was renting out, um, this place called sunrise musical theater, which is, um, sort of like a small arena, um, for, for a couple of gigs. And then I I got in a really bad motorcycle wreck and that kind of shut everything down. I didn't walk for about two years and I had to do a complete reset on, on pretty much everything. Um, because by the time I got out of that hospital, like, you know, this is like any other industry, it's all who, you know, and, you know, by the time I walked out that door, all the players had changed. Um, but to, re- to really date myself, I mean, it's, you know, I was doing this after I you know, started writing for the newspapers and magazines and interviewing a lot of the people that we've, we've talked about back in the day. Um, I was leasing a nightclub called Futura um, with a guy named uh, Luther Campbell. Do you remember who that is? Yeah, Two Live Crew. Yeah. Two Live Crew. Yeah. So like we we took turns leasing this this nightclub. So I would have it like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and he would take the weekends. Um, and the way it would work is I, I would like when I had it, I would collect the door. The, the guy who owned the place would collect the bar. Um, and then I would bring in whatever entertainment I wanted. Um, so I was doing a lot of things like that where I, I managed the bands and then I would, you know, lease the nightclubs and, and book the gigs. Um, but I, I saw a lot of the, you know, very, a lot of similarities to what happens in the book world, um, you know, from the marketing side on up, or even when people got successful, you know, I, I saw musicians that would have a hit song, you know, where they would come out of nowhere. Like I, I knew Vanilla Ice back in the day when he was Robert Van Winkle and he was bagging groceries over at Publix, um, <laughs> you know, and then, then Ice Ice Baby hits and all of a sudden he's this, you know, this huge star for a little while where he's, he's got movies coming out and this is happening and that's happening. Um, but what I, I really took notice of is, you know, the, like the finance side of that, um, because people go from, you know, like literally like he was bagging groceries at public. So he was at a minimum wage job, you know, to all of a sudden he's a millionaire. Um, and a lot of people, they don't understand, you know, exactly how to deal with that or they don't know how, and they just either go out and they just blow all this money and expect it to continue forever. Um, which is what I think the bulk of them do. I mean, if I had to guess probably 80% of them kind of do that. Um, other ones are a little bit smarter about it and, and sock stuff away. Um, so I like, I, I saw a lot of that too. So I think, you know, when I first started off as a writer and we've talked about this briefly on the air, but my, my wife started, you know, taking my advance checks when they came in and we put a lot of it into real estate. Um, and we still do that every dollar that comes in, like we've got um, specific pots where we break everything up. It goes into either real estate, it goes into investing, it goes here, it goes there. Um, but we try to diversify as much as possible. Um, because a lot of writers, I think they, they don't, you know, necessarily know how to do that either. You know, you end up with a series that does really well, all of a sudden, you know, your, your monthly income goes up, but it's not going to last. So you have to come up with a plan B, you have to, you know, get that money out there working for you in order to create a cushion to, to you know, help sustain you in those times where things get a little bit more lean. Um, you know, like right now, you know, with the, the virus out there, and I don't want to go too far off in the weeds, but we own a lot of rental properties and literally none of our tenants are paying rent. Yeah. Um, but at the, on the flip side of that, I still have to pay the mortgages on those buildings. Um, you know, for a couple of our tenants, we're paying their utilities because they can't afford to do it. So I'm floating them, you know, trying to get, help everybody get through this whole thing. Um, so my writing income in a lot of ways is, is completely dominating and helping sustain the real estate 
uh, side of our, our lives. And, you know, if you go back a couple of years, it was the opposite where the real estate money was sustaining the writer side of our lives. So, you know, having those, those various things that you can depend on, I, I think is huge because otherwise you, you're always in this feast or famine um, type. And, and that's a tough way to live. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. And, and I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, TW as uh, you know, he talked about his, background in you know har- the hardcore punk scene and, and being on the road and being in a van and, and being responsible for yourself like not having uh really anything to fall back on and, and it sounds like it's a very similar situation when you're an independent publisher well i think in anything if, if your feet are put to the fire you're, you're going to find a way to make it work I, either that or you're going to end up in the fetal position underneath the desk right? <laughs> and somebody's going to have to rescue you but i, I think the, the strong survive um in in this industries where you have to be able to do that to be able to adapt. Um, you know, he had brought up everybody starts at zero, at zero and it, it, you know, it gradually increases from there. You, you have to be able to, to roll with that. Um, you know, it, walking away from a day job is a, is a very scary thing. I mean, he, he said he did it early I and mean, people, you know, they tend to wait until their, the writer income is exceeding what they were making on the day job. And then they're finally comfortable doing that. Um, he, he walked away early. Um, if anything, that probably sped him up. You know, it's yeah. like I was, I was in the same, the same boat. I was in a comfortable salary position for a while there and it was difficult to walk away from. Um, but you know, if I wouldn't have done that, I, I wouldn't be a full-time writer today for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's true. Uh, I also thought it was a, a really important point that I think, especially folks who are maybe a little newer to the industry forget, which is the importance of that back catalog or that backlist. And I know that TW has really utilized his in some smart ways. Everything from cross promos to multi-author box sets to bundling uh, things together. And, and it's you always have to be creative. You always have to be thinking about uh, the, how you can repurpose content that you've already created. Well, that's one of those things that indies have a, a real leg up on the traditional guys because I've got zero control over my back catalog. You know, right now I've got this Patterson book coming out. I know they're spending a lot of money on marketing. You know, the, the book is out there everywhere. Um, my other publishers should be taking advantage of that, and and they're not. Um, uh, you know, with the couple of indie titles that I've got, I'm, I'm definitely out there doing it. You know, I've got ads, you know, Amazon ads that are targeting the book that's coming out. You know, like I'm trying to tie all these different things together. I've got a book bub coming out re- very close to publication date for a different title. Um, you know, so like I'm, I'm purposely thinking about that and I'm making adjustments based on it. Um, but when I speak to my other publishers and, and tell them this, this, this type of thing, like they just, they don't have the, the ability to maneuver and, and make those types of changes. And, and I know so many authors that have been doing this on the traditional side, you know, for years, their entire life, their entire adult life. And, you know, they've got, you know, huge back catalogs that are just sitting there, just stagnant. Um, the lucky ones get those titles back. Um, and, and some of those lucky ones that get the titles back um, understand what to do with them. A lot of them don't, you know, like they get the, the rights back to them and they, they have no idea how to actually, you know, take advantage of that and, and get those books out there as an indie author. Um, other ones do. Um, but for the most part, a lot of those titles sit there um, just because of the way the contracts were written. Um, a lot of them, you know, back in the day, they, they didn't specifically carve out ebooks. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. You know, so a book goes out of print, um, but the rights never revert. Um, they used to, you know, all, all, all things you have to be very cognizant of when you, when you sign anything nowadays, you know, try to future proof your, your writing, um, to make sure it doesn't happen to you. And I'll bet you're seeing results from those extra efforts you're putting into your independently published titles right now. Oh yeah. And, and that makes it more frustrating because I take those, those results, I put them in a spreadsheet and I'll send them over to the editors at the traditional side and say, Hey, look, this is what's happening on the books that I'm doing this for. Why don't you try it? Um, but they're just, they're not able to. Wow. That's unfortunate. 
Yeah, it is. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've often liked, um, likened the indie author to a speedboat, you know, sitting in the harbor where the traditional guy is the, the giant uh, cruise ship. You know, we can do circles around that speedboat or around that, that cruise ship. You know, they, they try to make a left turn and it takes them a half hour. Yeah. You know, and we, and we've done 50 laps. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's an advantage, you know, so as an indie, you know, you got to use that. Yep. Yep. Definitely. A- anything else caught your ear or interesting you heard from uh, TW? No, again, it's it's a very similar story. You know, somebody who just, you know, is willing to put in the extra time and he's working a day job. He, you know, he comes home, he writes the words and just keeps chugging away and chugging away. And, you know, he makes it happen. You know, like you have to have that drive behind you and, you know, you get that first book done, then you get the second book done, then you've got a, your first series is done. And, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but that income goes from 500 a month to a thousand a month to 3000 a month. And like it, it gradually creeps up. Um, and, and honestly, that's the way you want to do it. I think it's, it's better than getting in a slam dunk, you know, because you, it, it's going to be steady in the long, well, the long haul, you know, if your, if your income is trickling up like that versus having a, you know, giant blockbuster bestseller out of the gate, um, you know, that you're, you're constantly trying to chase. So that's, there's no magic formula. I mean, he brought that up. There's, there's no secret to it. The, the secret is hard work. You know, it's, it's, it's perseverance. It's adapting to the, the world and, and staying one step ahead. Yeah. And he, and he said too, that it's just believing in yourself and just having that faith and just, I can do this and, and keeping at it and not giving up. And I, I think that's a, an important lesson for everybody. Yeah. And having the support system there is, is huge as well. I, I mean, almost everybody I know has a spouse out there that that's standing right behind them and supporting that, those career choices, right. you know, allowing their spouse to, to walk away from a day job and, you know, and staying on in their own job or whatever to try and support them if that's what it takes. Like that, I, I think you need that as well. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Yeah. So fun conversation with Piper Brook. Hope you guys enjoyed it. He's a really good guy too. So it was, it was fun to have him on. Um, so who do we got next week? So next week, this one's going to be fun. We've got Jessica Brody. Do you know that, that name? Jessica Brody is uh, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite books when I'm, I'm talking to, to mentoring students or just authors at conferences or people that need a little little leg. Um, Save the Cat is a, a, a book that's been around for a long time on the screenplay side. And, um, it, and it's great if you ever want to get into to writing screenplays, but she adapted it and turned it into a, a, a book on, on novel writing. Uh, and it really breaks it down into, into very simple steps, not necessarily an outline, but a way to create a, a, a roadmap. Um, and it's, it's a fantastic book. I think any, anybody who's, who's struggling with getting from, you know, the page one to the, the last page, um, should definitely pick it up. And, and if anything, just try to plug your book down in, into the, the formula that she's got in there just to see how well it fits. Um, if you don't know what a three act structure is like that kind of thing, like this will help you form that. Um, a lot of times, you know, like if, if you read enough, like your brain will absorb the fact that, you know, you'll absorb a, the structure of a three act structure, like you'll understand what it is like on a subconscious level, and you will write that book in, in that, and you may not even realize it, you know, you, a lot of authors go back after the fact, and they can plug their, their book into that. But um, yeah, but it, it's good to know that it's there. And if you're struggling, for sure, I, I think it's a great tool. So I can't wait to hear what she's got to say about it. Yeah, it really is. It's one of the methodologies that I overlaid on top of the the current project I'm working on. And one, one of the things that I noticed that stood out for me was the five-point finale. I think mm-hmm. as far as finishing strong, that is such a great template to keep in mind, whether it's a novel or, or a screenplay. It, it's, uh, it, it's surprising. It forces you to be creative, and it really it creates a satisfying ending for for the reader or the viewer. Yeah. And when, it, when I first read that, I think 
when they at the end they plug in a lot of existing products, like existing books and movies into this formula. And and I didn't realize how many of them actually fit this formula yeah. until you until you drop them, in, you know, those pegs into the holes, and you and you realize they all do, like the successful ones do. The the ones that don't are the ones that don't do well. So like there there's a reason that this this you know structure exists. Yeah. So that, that's going to be a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to talking to Jessica. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Well, to our listeners, we appreciate your support. And if you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend or consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Until next time, have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.